I was thinking right there. I was sitting. I was standing here, and I was my eyes were closed, and I started shuffling a little bit. My eyes closed. One of these days, I am going to literally fall off these steps into the front row. Adam will have to dive and save me. Just make sure you have your video cameras rolling. That would be a great YouTube clip. The next week, you'll see me wearing a helmet. <laughs> so. If you've been paying attention at all today, there's something that's happening in exactly two weeks. Does anyone remember what that is? Easter, Easter, right? Easter. Easter is so much fun. So exciting. I love Easter. You got the Easter bunny, right? Easter bunny goes around. I don't know how that started, but it's kind of fun. He hides his eggs and then you go around the house or in your backyard trying to find them. How many of you actually use real eggs for Easter, Easter hunts? You dye the eggs, and then you throw out the real eggs. Now, the great part about using real eggs for your Easter egg hunt is, especially if it's indoors, even if you can't find them right away, you're going to find them eventually, right? Because if you can't find them, you're going to smell them. Anyone ever have that happen to us? Oh, my goodness. We totally had that happen as kids. But along with that Easter egg hunt, we also do the dressing up thing, right? The Easter dress and the Easter hat. You bet uh, we're going to have little Ava and Addie in there, little Easter dresses, a lot of fun. Uh, even men sometimes will dress up, maybe wear a tie, maybe a dress shirt. I'm, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying sometimes men do that. Adam's like, okay, I got it. Got the memo. But that was always kind of special, right, as a kid, and you'd see everyone dressed up. Also, many families have Easter dinners. Anyone going to have an Easter dinner at Easter? Yeah, so we do that as a family. We go over to my sister Christine's house. All the siblings get together and nephews and nieces and uh, my, my parents, about 30, 40 people come together for a meal. I love those times. I remember when I was at the University of Wyoming, I got to fly home one, one Easter and I was able to celebrate Easter with my family. The other two uh, Easters, when I was there, I actually had to stay in Wyoming, but a family uh, asked me to celebrate Easter with them. So I went over to the house, had dinner, a lot of fun. So what a day, right? We got the, we got the eggs, we got the dress up and we got the dinner. Am I missing anything? <laughs> what, what am I missing? <laughs> Someone's back there like, Jesus, what kind of church is this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Jesus. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And can we just please agree right now, that is what Easter is really about, right? Jesus, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. It's the reason that we exist as a church. It's our, it's our purpose. It's our focus. He is our passion. Jesus is alive. We don't remember Jesus for just being a real good moral teacher or for being able to do some pretty fancy miracles back in the day. No, we celebrate him as the risen Christ. He's alive. We don't just remember him for what he did 2000 years ago. We actually celebrate Jesus for what he's doing today, 2013. And because of that, for me personally, it is the coolest holiday ever. Think about it. All around the world, we celebrate that a man died and that he rose again, that he died he was buried, and then he rose again on the third day. That is an incredible, incredible feat and an awesome holiday. I love Christmas. Christmas is awesome. Jesus is born. It was in a glorious and prophesied birth. It's a good thing. I love Christmas. But it doesn't compare, in my mind, to Easter. Nothing compares to Easter. Because a lot of great men and women have been born. It's kind of how we get into this world these days. It's, it's through birth. But, see, Jesus... He wasn't just born. He lived a perfect life. He gave himself up for us. He died. And then he rose from the grave. And he rose out of the tomb on the third day. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Come to church on Easter. 
I would encourage you, come to church. Invite a friend to come along. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. Jesus is alive. You know, I was thinking the other day at LifeSpring, I said this in our leadership meeting this morning as well, we kind of celebrate like it's Easter every Sunday. We really do. We're a one-trick pony. All our eggs are in one basket, and it's Jesus, right? And the fact that Jesus is alive is a really, really big deal here at LifeSpring. We don't stay silent about it. A couple of weeks ago, we started walking through which book of the Bible? Anyone remember? Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, the fact that Jesus is alive is a really big deal to the Apostle Paul. He does not stay silent about it either. So over the past couple of Sundays, we've, we've learned what it means to be in Christ. In Christ. To be chosen in Christ. To be blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. To be holy and blameless in Christ. Today we're going to discover some more amazing truths about what it means to be in Christ. I hope we all understand that these truths are discovered in the risen Christ, not just the historical figure of Jesus Christ, but the one who is alive today. And because he is alive, guess what? You and I are alive. Did you know that? That because he is alive, we are alive. That's what the Bible tells us. Listen up. It says this. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. I love that. Jesus has conquered death. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Listen up. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. What? In Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son. To know that he is alive today. To know that as we gather in church this morning, we do not just remember a man who lived 2,000 years ago, but we celebrate the risen Christ. Jesus, we want to live lives that reflect that promise and that truth. Let us be alive today in Christ. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right. For those of you that are Christians in this room, I hope we all understand this glorious truth. The the certain basic principles of what it means to be a Christian. Your position in Christ, that you are forgiven, that you are free, that you are righteous, that your sins are removed, that you're holy, that you're blameless, all because you are found in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who is that? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. On my own, I have fallen short of the glory of God. And to be honest, no one has to explain that to me. You really don't. I know my life. I know what I've done. And we all come in this morning with various life experiences, different stages on this spiritual journey, so to speak. But I think every person in this room understands at some level that we have fallen short of the glory of God in our sin. If God is perfection, then we've missed the mark, right? If God is perfection, we've missed the mark. We are short of perfection. In fact, that's what Isaiah 64, 6 tells us. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Our best attempts at righteousness, our best efforts to be holy and blameless outside of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross are like filthy rags. So we're in trouble. The whole lot of us. We are in trouble. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. But I love the Bible. That passage goes on. We're not done yet. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. End. 
This is a beautiful end. And all, all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We fell short of the glory of God, but Jesus saved us. Jesus saved us and we have now been justified. We have been redeemed all because of the wonderful work of Jesus Christ. As we continue through the book of Ephesians today, today is all about Jesus. So we're going to pick it up in Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Go ahead and write that down. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood. In Christ, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. If you've been at LifeSpring over the past couple of months, you know I've addressed the issue of redemption several times. Today we're going to talk about it again. I'm not sure it's going to be the last time. You see, my heart and my passion is that you and I would fully grasp some of these Christian words that we throw around and use all the time. I grew up in the church and we would use all these churchy words like redemption and sanctification and justification and edification and fornication. But I didn't know what any of those words meant. But they became a part of my Christian vocabulary. So I sounded like a really good Christian, but I had no idea what I was talking about. Anyone else relate to that? Absolutely. You grew up in the church. Absolutely. I remember talking to my non-Christian girlfriend once. I wouldn't recommend that, but I was a good missionary dater. Maybe I was a bad missionary dater. That's another topic. So I was talking to my non-Christian girlfriend about Jesus, and I told her this. You know, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And she was like, you've been what by the who? (laughs) I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Think about to a non-Christian. That has cult written all over it. (laughs) And to be honest, I really didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't. As a skeptic, she was looking for answers. And so she wanted to know what it meant. So here she is. She asked me this question. Asked me to explain myself, but my explanation to her, it was awful. I mean, it was terrible. It was something like, well, you know, you know sheep, goats, you know, Moses, the ark, God, Jesus. Jesus loves you. You want to make out? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can go ahead and put a big stamp on my forehead that says, Fail. Fail. And we don't need all the answers to every single theological question that's in the cosmos. But man, it would do us well to have a better understanding of some of the words that we throw around as Christians. Redemption. It's one of those words. I love the way the New Living Translation translates verse 7. It reads, and we'll put it up on the screen. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. That's redemption. That he purchased our freedom with the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ, through his sacrificial death, he purchased us from the slavery of sin to set us free from that, boss, from that bondage. There was a price to be paid for our sin. That price was the blood of Jesus. Once we were in bondage as slaves to sin. But we have been ransomed. We have been set free. Finding the freedom of a new life with Jesus Christ. Redemption, it is a powerful description of what Jesus has done for us. This, di- this idea of having a price that has been paid, 
It reminds me of a story I recently heard Josh McDowell tell. He tells the story of a young boy named Tom who had made this little sailboat. Listen to what he says. Tom carried his new boat to the edge of the river. He carefully placed it in the water and slowly let out the string. How smoothly the boat sailed. Tom sat in the warm sunshine, admiring the little boat that he had built. Suddenly, a strong current caught the boat. Tom tried to pull it back to shore, but the string, it broke. The little boy raced downstream. Tom ran along the sandy shore as fast as he could, but this little little boat soon slipped out of his sight. All afternoon, he searched for the boat. Finally, when it was too dark to look any longer, Tom sadly went home. A few days later, on the way home from school, Tom spotted a boat just like his in a store window. When he got closer, he could see, sure enough, it was his. Tom hurried to the store manager. Sir, that's my boat in your window. I made it. Sorry, son, but someone else brought it in this morning. If you want it, you'll have to buy it for one dollar. Tom ran home, counted all his money, exactly one dollar. When he reached the store, he rushed to the counter. Here's the money for my boat. He left the store and Tom, he hugged his boat and he said, now you're twice mine. First I made you and now I bought you. That's redemption. See, God, he made you once and he bought you once. He purchased you back from sin, delivered you from sin and the consequences of sin through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We also have, this verse tells us, forgiveness of sins. When we talk about the forgiveness of sins that comes from Jesus, I think we have done a disservice to God and others by selling short what the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus really means. I really believe that. It's not just a get out of jail free card every time that we sin. The forgiveness found in Jesus is much greater, much deeper than a mere get out of jail free card. In Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins, all our sins, original sin, our past sins, our current sins, our future sins, all forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus. The older I get and the better I get at sinning, the more I. I am just filled with gratitude and thankfulness for this glorious truth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I I wonder. The Oxford English Dictionary defines forgiveness as this. To grant free pardon and to give up all claim on account of an offense or debt. Today as believers, we have forgiveness. We have the pardon of sin. And along with that, we have the removal of any guilt or condemnation that would have accompanied that sin. But we don't act that way, do we? We don't. We act kind of like our sins aren't forgiven. I've done it. You've done it. We walk around with our heads bowed low, feeling real bad about who we are and what we've done. We like to beat ourselves up for our sins. We beat ourselves up. Reminds me of what the monastic order, some of them would do back in the 13th and 14th centuries. They'd have this little whip, right? And they'd beat themselves, beat themselves till they're bloodied for penance for their sins until they are bloodied and bruised. You will still find this in certain parts of the world. It's really popular, actually, during Easter time. But whether you like it or not, and whether they like it or not, or back in the day, whether they like it or not, if you're a believer, your sins are forgiven. I personally am ecstatic about this truth. That means I don't have to have any lashings or beatings. No punishment is necessary. Jesus took the lashes. Jesus took the beating. Jesus 
took the punishment. Your sins were forgiven when you put your faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When you put your trust in his shed blood. Charles Spurgeon, the famous English preacher from the 19th century, writes about forgiveness in his popular morning and evening devotional book. Listen to what he writes. This is beautiful. Could there be a sweeter word in any language than that word forgiveness? When it sounds in a guilty sinner's ear like the silver notes of Jubilee to the captive Israelite. Blessed, forever blessed be that dear star of pardon which shines into the condemned cell and gives the perishing a gleam of hope amid the midnight of despair. Can it be possible that sin, such sin as mine, can be forgiven, forgiven altogether and forever? Hell is my portion as a sinner. There is no possibility of my escaping from it while sin remains upon me. Can the load of guilt be uplifted, the crimson stain removed? Can the adamantine stones of my prison house ever be loosed from their mortises or the doors be lifted from their hinges? Jesus tells me that I may yet be clear. Forever blessed be the revelation of atoning love, which not only tells me that pardon is possible, but that it is secured to all who rest in Jesus. I have believed in the appointed propitiation, even Jesus crucified, and therefore my sins are at this moment and forever forgiven by virtue of his substitutionary pains and death. What joy is this? What bliss to be a perfectly pardoned soul. My soul dedicates all her powers to him who of his own unpurchased love became my surety and wrought out for me redemption through his blood. What riches of grace does free forgiveness exhibit to forgive at all, to forgive fully, to forgive freely, to forgive forever. Here is a constellation of wonders. And when I think of how great my sins were, how dear were the precious drops which cleansed me from them. And how gracious was the method by which pardon was sealed home to me. I listen. I love this part. I am in a maze of wondering, worshiping affection. I bow before the throne which absolves me. I clasp the cross which delivers me. I serve henceforth all my days the incarnate God through whom I am this night a pardoned soul. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a pardoned soul? I actually feel that churches would look radically different if the people in those churches actually believed and acted like their sins were forgiven. Two things would begin to happen if we believed our sins were forgiven. Number one, if you want to write this down in your notes, the people in our churches would begin to live out their God-given dreams. You know, one of the biggest dream killers for the Christian is our unwillingness to accept the forgiveness of our sins. Instead of accepting the truth that we are forgiven, we choose to live in guilt, shame, and condemnation. While we already know the truth that there is, therefore, no condemnation for those of us found in Christ Jesus. But we take that truth and we cast that truth aside as we dwell upon our latest and greatest sin that we've committed and we decide that sin has made us unworthy to live out God's plan for our life. It's so vitally important for us to understand that at the deepest levels, at the very core of who we are, we as Christ followers are forgiven. If you don't believe that, 
you will never be free from the power of sin in your life. Because you will convince yourself of the lie that you are just a sinner. I'm just a son, just a sinner. Unforgivable, unworthy, stained, marked, a failure. I'm a sinner. You know what? Sinners are going to sin. Sinners are going to sin. But that's not who you are. That's not who you are. When we believe that we are forgiven, we don't live as sinners. We live as saints. And guess what? That's what we are. We are saints. We are God's holy people. We are his children. We are free from the bondage of sin. The power of sin has been broken. When we make that shift from unworthy sinner to forgiven saint, sure, we still sin from time to time. But with the forgiveness found only in Jesus Christ, we choose to live in the freedom that he has given us. We choose to live by the spirit instead of by the flesh. We choose God's best for us. And this choice comes from our understanding of our identity that in Christ we are forgiven. When we accept that truth that we are forgiven, we say yes to God. We follow hard after his plan for our life. We dream dreams and we see visions and we begin to live them out without shame or condemnation. So that's number one. Here's the second thing that would happen if we believed our sins were forgiven. It was pretty simple. We'd treat others better. <laughs> Love and forgive. We would treat others better. What are you talking about, Pastor Dan? Well, out of our lack of understanding of God's grace, where we can't comprehend this forgiveness, many of us believe that we are still under God's wrath as Christians. That He is up in heaven with a log book recording all of our sins, and you're going to pay for every one of them. And because of this, because of your sins, not only have you given up on yourself, but you've also given up on others. You have become a professional at pointing out the sins of others. That comes from your belief that God is up in heaven pointing out your sins. You categorize any negative or awful thing that has happened to your life as a consequence to your sins. Yes, God disciplines the ones that he loves. Yes, he doesn't want you to stay in your sin. And by the Holy Spirit, he loves to make you uncomfortable for you if you keep on sinning. No question, he loves us too much to allow us to stay in our sin. I love that about God. But he isn't waiting around just to catch you in a sin so he can send you to the timeout chair. But yet some of us, that's exactly how we feel. And that's exactly what you are doing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're just waiting for them to make a mistake so you can judge them, so you can find fault with them and you can punish them. And since you literally probably can't punish them. How do you punish them? You punish them with your words or with your lack of words, with your actions or your lack of actions toward them. It might be a cold shoulder or a snide remark. Maybe it's gossip behind their back. Guess what? As Dr. Phil would say, hurting people hurt people. It's true. Hurting people hurt people. Your, your disdain towards others, it comes from the fact that you think God is not pleased with you. Which, by the way, is the furthest from the truth, furthest from the truth. But this viewpoint of God and sin and forgiveness comes from the lack of understanding that along with you and I being forgiven, you might want to write this down. We are also 
justified. Very important word. It's another churchy word, but it's so important. Justification. You're not only forgiven, but you're justified. Justification is that you are declared righteous in the eyes of a holy God. Not because of anything that you have done or anything that you have not done, but solely on the basis of your faith in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification, it's more than just forgiveness, the pardon of sins, the removal of that guilt and that condemnation. It adds to us the declaration that we are righteous. Did you know that? We are righteous. We talked last week about being holy and blameless in Christ, which we are. We are righteous. Listen up. We are righteous as though we had never sinned. When God justifies the sinner, all evidence of his sin, of his guilt is completely wiped out. That's what Hebrews 10 verses 16 and 17 says. It says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. What an amazing truth. He remembers them no more. And this sin we're talking about, this sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Never make light of sin. Our sin makes us subject to God's wrath. God's wrath. What a popular subject. It is not a popular subject. But Romans 1.18 says this. The wrath of God. It's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. Yes, outside of the work of Jesus Christ, you are deserving of God's wrath. But listen, justification changes all of this. Romans 5.9 states, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Justification Declared righteous for a moment. Think about a criminal, a criminal. What do they do? They commit a crime. They are convicted. They do time in prison. Guess what? Most criminals are going to be released eventually from prison after they've met their debt to society. But guess what? It's also extremely hard to reenter society for criminals to reengage into community because you have the mark of your past. Everyone knows you. Everyone who knew you knows what you did. But thank God for his abundant grace. Even though you and I, we broke God's laws. Whether you believe that or not, you did. You broke God's laws. But because of being justified in Christ, we are received into God's family with all the benefits of being in his family as though we had never broken any of his laws. All of us have broken a few laws. Yet that isn't how we are treated because we are justified through faith. This is good news. This is really good news. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Can we just read that first verse together? Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Amen. We broke his laws, but that verse tells us we have peace with God. The veil has been torn. Amazing. Remember the uh, story of the prodigal son? Glorious story. When the father's disgraced son returns home, what does the father do the Bible tells us, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast 
and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is a restoration to God's favor. I hope that you can see justification. The fact that we are justified is a restoration to God's favor. P.B. Fitzwater says this. Justification is much more than remission of sins or acquittal. The justified man is more than a discharged criminal. He is restored to the position of one who is righteous. God treats him as though he had never sinned. Are you overwhelmed by the grace of God yet? This is amazing. Do you understand justification? I hope you do. Because it's only once you realize that you've been justified, as though you have never sinned, that you will begin to treat your brother and your sister in Christ that same way. It will radically change how you view and how you treat others. It will. It's time to accept Christ's work on the cross. Accept his forgiveness, the redemption, the justification that takes place in Christ. It will change how you treat one another. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. It will change your heart. You won't have to go around trying to point out every little sin that somebody else commits. I honestly believe that a lot of the bickering that Christians do with other Christians comes from a place of insecurity and immaturity where we do not trust that we are accepted in Christ Jesus. We do not believe that we are righteous and holy before our God. We don't believe it. And that brings guilt, shame, condemnation and a whole lot of other things. And out of that guilt and condemnation, we interact with others and we try to bring guilt and condemnation onto others. Because we feel judged, we judge others. But you don't have to live that way any longer. I hope you understand this truth this morning. You are justified. You are declared righteous along with every single other Christian that is here this morning. Stop beating yourself up. Stop pulling out that little whip. Stop beating yourself up. Stop beating up each other. Throw away the whip. Throw away the whip. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. So there's redemption in Christ, forgiveness in Christ, all in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Amen. If you have never put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, you can do that today. And your sins, all your sins are forgiven. This is good news. He made you. He wants to rescue you from the dominion of darkness, bring you into the kingdom of his light. He will redeem you. He will forgive you. It's an incredible promise from the Bible. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you're sitting here today without a personal relationship with Jesus, I just say this to you. You know your life. You know your life. You know how you've lived. You know the things that you've done, the good and the bad and the ugly. You know you need a savior. And if you confess your sins, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he is faithful and he is just. And listen up. He will forgive you your sins. He will purify you from all unrighteousness. What is that? If he purifies you from all unrighteousness, what does that make you? I'll say it again. If he purifies you from all unrighteousness, what does that make you? Righteous. You are righteous. You are righteous. 
It's beautiful. For anyone today that's never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity to have your sins forgiven, to be declared righteous as though you had never sinned. If that's you, raise your hand, and I would love to pray for you. Anybody in this room? Anybody? If you didn't raise your hand, you don't have a relationship with the Lord. I just want to encourage you. This is the best thing you could ever do. That relationship with Jesus. I know I'm pretty bold with that. I always make it awkward and uncomfortable. But I think it's so good that I love pushing through the awkwardness and the uncomfortability. Because there's nothing like having all your sins just removed. As far as the east is from the west. Removed. If you want that and maybe this wasn't right, come up to me afterwards and I'm going to pray for you. Say, Dan... I'm tired of living on my own. I need Jesus. I need God. Come up to me and I'll pray for you. All right. So all these wonderful spiritual blessings that we've discussed, all those wonderful spiritual blessings that we sang about in worship today, they're found in Christ and they're in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. They all flow from the grace of God. And that's what I want to conclude with. Today, sermons like this, they, they can be hard for some, some of us because we want to earn our salvation. The, the fact that redemption and forgiveness and justification are all part of God's free gift of grace, it doesn't sit well with some of us. Right? We want to earn God's favor. But grace is God's unmerited favor. That's the definition of grace. It's time to accept God's free gift of grace and accept the fact that it's not about us and what we've done, but it's about God and what he has done. It's all because of the grace of God, the grace of God, grace, grace, which is rich beyond our understanding, grace, which is rich beyond our comprehension, rich grace, which is infinitely rich beyond any earthly wealth. He lavishly pours out his grace upon us in your mind's eye. Just take a second. Imagine what that must look like for his grace to be lavished on us, for it to be poured out upon us. It is poured out in abundance. We have yet to exhaust the limits of God's grace. It is a fountain with a deep and abundant source, overflowing fountain of God's favor. Can you see that? The grace of God. We sang a song today. I love this song. He loves us. Talks about the grace that's been poured out in abundance. We sang this. We said we are his portion and he is our prize. Drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. I love that. If grace was an ocean, we're all sinking. Because we think we stand upon our works. We do. But our works are like filthy Rags, And I would say this, instead of trying to stand on our merits, trying to earn that salvation, let's take off our shoes, stop standing and go swimming in the superabundance of God's grace. I just feel it this morning in this room there just I'm not trying to judge, but there is a misalignment with God in this room. I feel it in the hearts of some of you. There is a misalignment. You are a good person. You love God. You love people. 
Yet you are not allowing yourself to receive the forgiveness of your sins. I've heard this from some of you. I'll talk about grace and forgiveness to you. And your response will be to me. But Pastor Dan, you don't know what I've done. I hear that all the time. You know, God wants to forgive you and show you his grace. But Pastor Dan, you don't know what I've done. Well, guess what? You don't know what I've done either. And I'd like to address this because some of us in our sin feel like our sin is just really special. Our sin is just unique. We feel like our sin is worse than everybody else's sin. So, yeah, we allow God to forgive everybody else in this room. Everybody else except for us. You know, I'm speaking the truth to some of you right now. But how dare you say that God's grace is big enough for my sin, but not for yours? God loves you so much. He does. He doesn't want to see you holding on to that sin. He wants to set you free from that sin. In fact, he's already forgiven you and set you free from that sin. It's just time for you to come into alignment with what God has already done for you. Allow the forgiveness of God to wash over you. Allow his grace to overflow in your life. Daughter. Yes. You may have gotten an abortion. Yes, you may have gotten a divorce. But as his child, you are forgiven. Stop beating yourself up. Throw away the whip. Stop paying penance for a debt that has already been paid. Son, yes, you had an affair. Son, oh, you bet you looked at pornography. But you're forgiven. Not only are you forgiven, you're free. You've always seen yourself as a good-for-nothing sinner. So you make the choices of a good-for-nothing sinner. But God sees you as a saint. He sees you righteous and holy. The power of sin has been broken in your life. It's been broken. You never have to go back to those old sin patterns again. Yes, before you were a Christian, you were under the grip of sin. But Jesus bought you back. He redeemed you. You are free. I believe that as you walk in that freedom and find your identity in Christ, you will choose the things of God. Sin will lose its grip on your life as your heart changes. You won't gratify the desires of the flesh, but you will instead live by the Holy Spirit that resides within you. But the first step, son and daughter, is that you would accept the forgiveness that is already yours. We are all swimming in the ocean of God's grace. Listen to the voice of God. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Lord, there are those of us in this room right now that are not allowing your forgiveness and your grace to wash over us. There are certain sins within us that we have built such a blockade and a barricade around. Trying our hardest to not allow your grace to enter those areas. Whatever it might be. Yes, we think God's grace is big enough and good enough for everybody else. And we even pick and choose which sins can be forgiven. Your your grace, Lord, is big enough to cover all our sins, to remove them, 
And I pray that we would see ourselves justified, not just forgiven, but declared righteous. Because some of us, even if we, we thought about accepting your forgiveness, we, even if we thought about saying, yeah, you know, I'm forgiven, I guess I get to go to heaven, we're still walking around in, in a life that's so much less than what you've called us to live because we're not willing to walk as one who is righteous, one who is holy and blameless in Christ Jesus. But that's a lie from the enemy. That's not how you want us to live, Lord. You want us to live out with boldness. God, you've given us dreams. You've given us visions. You've given us passion to live out loud for you, God. And we're allowing these things, these sins, these, these things that we've done to keep us, to, to keep us from doing, to discount us, to, to keep a mark or a stain on us, to say, no, I'm unworthy to do that thing. I today boldly declare you worthy. I speak that over every person that is a believer in Christ Jesus today. You are worthy, not because of anything you have done, but because of the wonderful and precious blood of Jesus Christ. You are worthy. Isn't that humbling? <laughs> but you are worthy. For some of you that have not accepted the forgiveness of God in your life before, that even sounds wrong. You can't even say it. How, you can't say I'm worthy. You don't even know, Dan. You, Pastor Dan, you do not know what I've done. Well, get over it. You're worthy. You're wasting your life trying to whip yourself and pay penance for a sin that's already been paid for. You are forgiven. Child of God, you are forgiven. Son and daughter. You are not forgiven outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. But in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. If there's anyone that just wants, with all heads bowed, if anyone wants to partner with me on this, where I can pray over you, that struggled with this idea. Maybe there's just something in your life where you've never allowed yourself to experience the forgiveness of God. But you just raise your hand real quick so I can see you and agree with you and pray for you. A struggle in your life that you have not allowed. Yeah, absolutely, I see you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. That's all right. I'm raising my hand too. I got him. But today... By the power of the Holy Spirit. I feel the Spirit declaring us righteous. Holy and set apart. Righteous. Forgiven. And free. Wash that truth over us today by your grace, Lord. Wash that truth over us. Just now, Lord, wash that truth over us. For those of us that have raised our hands and even those that didn't, just wash that truth over us, Lord. It's your grace. It's your grace. It's your grace. We're taking off our shoes, jumping in the ocean of grace. It's your grace, Lord. It's your grace. It's not about what we've done. It's not about what we've tried to earn. It's not about our works. It's about you, Jesus Christ. It's about what you did on the cross. It's about the Father God sending his son to die to be a sacrifice for our sins. It's you, Lord. It's you, Lord. It's your grace. It's your grace. Wash over, Lord. Wash over. Wash over. Wash over. Wash over. You want to know, you want to have a difference on a Monday morning? If you want Sunday to change your Monday, walk in His grace. I guarantee you that you will be more loving. 
you will be less judging. You will be more kind. The fruit of the Spirit will be so evident in your life that as you give someone a hug, that fruit will squish all over them. We are changed by your grace. Your grace, Lord. Over this entire place. Your grace, your grace, your grace, your grace. When we wake up in the morning and we feel condemned, when we feel shame, when we feel just dirty, Lord, remind us of your grace. Remind us that we are declared righteous, sanctified, justified, righteous, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We're going to sing this song again. And let's stand and sing it together. If any of you need prayer afterwards, I'd love to pray for you. Come up quickly after service. I'd pray for you. Randy would pray for you. Adam would pray for you. We can pray for one another in the lobby or in the parking lot. I don't care, but some of you need to allow God to forgive you. He's already forgiven you, but you need to accept the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, if you open up your heart to the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, there will be a smile on your face. There will be a burden that is lifted. There will be a joy in the Lord that maybe you haven't had before because you've been holding on to something you were never meant to carry. So I pray, do not wait another day. Let today be the day that you find your freedom in Christ Jesus.